You are now about to witness the strength of street knowledge. Welcome to Voice Junkie. Welcome to the Voice Junkie Podcast. I am your humble and loyal servant, Chuck West, giving you the latest episode here. We've got plenty of topics to dive into. Don't want to hold you too long, but before I do, since we don't have ads or anything for this uh, podcast, I want to give a quick shout out to my patreon.com slash voice junkie. If you want to support the podcast, help it get even better production, help it, you know, just grow as a medium, that would be awesome. That is patreon.com slash voice junkie. Let's get to it. So first, I want to jump straight into a topic. Uh, this this episode is going to be predominantly focused on streaming services. So there's a lot of news that came out this past week in regards to uh, streaming services. So first and foremost, uh, was news that broke from the MPAA. The MPAA, if you don't know what that is, that's the Motion Picture Association of America. So you know, they focus on all the trends and metrics that happen in the world of streaming and uh, broadcast television. I found it very uh, interesting. So <clears throat> what they discovered, so basically the, 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 the emphasis that they, they brought up and what they discovered was that, in essence, uh, streaming video has surpassed cable subscriptions worldwide. So, I mean, those of you out there who got your Netflixes, your Hulus of the world, your you know, whatever you got, HBO Now or Showtime or CBS All Access, I could go on and on. There's a quadrillion of these streaming services that are offered to us right now. So no surprise, those offerings are the biggest uh, influencer right now in households. They have surpassed traditional television. So getting to that point, I want to just read something real quick uh, that I highlighted for you guys. Uh, the MPAA said that uh, digital home entertainment was the driver of growth. U.S. digital sales grew by 24%, while international digital sales grew by 34%. At the same time, physical releases dropped in the U.S. and internationally by 15 and 14%, uh, percent respectively. The report lumps in together digital sales, video on demand, and paid subscription services. So. Uh, just to pause real quick, all of those things are uh, being counted when they mean streaming services or streaming video services. So uh, streaming video services uh, or uh, streaming video subscriptions pass cable for the first time. This is what they're saying. So I'm going to go back into the uh, article here. When it comes to streaming video, the MP MPAA reports that subscriptions surpass cable television for the first time with 131.2 million new subscriptions added. Rising to 16, uh, 613.3 million worldwide, a jump of 27% over 2017's numbers. The report says that cable subscriptions dropped by 2% to 556 million. That said, despite that growth in streaming video and the small decrease in cable subscriptions, cable subscriptions still rank in the most money, increasing in 2018 by 6.2 billion to 118 billion dollars. So I highlighted that for you just to bring to your attention why that is. I want to focus on the last part of what I just said, um, and that is the revenue side of things. So. Streaming services have always fascinated me. 
I was always on the cutting edge of streaming services. I was cutting the cord before it was cool. <laughs> you know, I, I don't want to say it that way, but yeah, I was cutting the cord before it was fashionable. And that was because I always believed in getting my entertainment the way I wanted to get it and not through just one predominant provider that that's just feeding me, uh, feeding me through their uh, antiquated box. Uh, that's usually the cable providers that do that. So when the Sling TVs came out of the world, the PlayStation Views of the world came out, I was, man, I was right there, you know, front line because when it comes to emerging technologies, I try to jump on it. I try to get ahead of the curve and I just want to consume the things I love in the easiest way possible. And the problem with cable providers is they don't do that because they want to keep you locked into their community, keep you locked into their services and not really give you a choice. They're just saying, hey, this is what we're going to give you. We're not going to give you a la carte. We're not going to allow you to pick and choose what you want. We're just going to give you uh, an all-you-can-eat buffet at an obscenely high price. So that kind of leads into why cable subscriptions are just still ringing in so much money. I remember when I was with Comcast, you know, I haven't been with Comcast for over a year now, and I'm talking about just using their internet service. Uh, They are hemorrhaging money, um, not hemorrhaging money, excuse me, they're hemorrhaging subscribers, customers are fleeing left and right. So what they are doing to make up the difference when it comes to their video services is they're just taking it out of the internet providers. I mean, the internet customers. So every single year, I kid you not, when I was with Comcast, every single year from like 2016 to 2018, they raised my bill. It was $3, then it was $5, then it was $5 again. And then it just kept going up and up and up and up. And the craziest thing about that is there's crazy restrictions to their services. So it's like, dude, I'm not going to keep paying you these obscene amounts of money, 90 to 100 bucks for a streaming service. That's not that great. So for instance, their blast service at the time when I was um, still with them, I think I was getting like 200 megabytes per second download speeds and only 10 megabytes per second uh, going up for upload speeds, which is atrocious. So you were charging me 90 to 100 bucks for that service. The worst part about it is, is that they also throttle you. They throttle you. They, they constrict you once your bandwidth, once they feel that your bandwidth is growing too much per month. So you notice your speeds slow down a little bit and they limit you per device that you could uh, have connected to your connection that you freaking pay for which is obscene. So these are all these little tricks and that they do, not to mention that they're a monopoly like Comcast in my area. You can't get nothing but Comcast until recently when I got GoNet Speed, shout out to them for their awesome service, fiber optic cable, 500 megabytes down, 500 megabytes per second up. <laughs> That's a whole nother argument. Uh, and, and we need more disruptors like a GoNet Speed in, in all of these neighborhoods and these cities and but then, you know, that's a whole nother tangent that I don't want to get go down. But it is not at all surprising that these uh, providers are still ranking in big money. And that's because they are price gouging the holy hell out of their customers because their customers don't have anywhere else to go. There is no options. There's no choices for them to go to. If they, If Comcast is your only provider in the city or town you live in, 
chances are you're going to keep Comcast, man, because you don't have a choice. And right now, the, you know, providers for, you know, the sailor providers, they're, they're working on their own uh, options when it comes to in-home, um, you know, internet service. Right now, they're just not there. So you're just stuck using coaxial cable for your internet. And typically, that's with one uh, 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 company. So didn't that all surprise me? But it also led me into um, this other story that, you know, realizing that Comcast and all these other companies, Time Warners of the world, all these, these, these big giant uh, cable providers realize that the walls are closing in and they're just going to have to adjust to what the market is right now. And the market is streaming services, over-the-top services. That's why they're hemorrhaging subscribers by the day, by the week, by the month, by the year. They realize that. They know it. They see the writing on the wall. But they're going to take and rob you for as much money as possible until they ultimately get to where it's going to go anyway. And that's going to be streaming service over the top. So... That leads me into my next story with Comcast, and they announced some <laughs> some pathetic offering they call Flex, and it's a $5 per month streaming service to core cutters. So, you know, it's called Flex. So just to give you a real quick uh, sense of what it is. So reading the article, the article says, Comcast is touting that Flex brings together content from these services into the one single integrated guide where you can find something to watch, then switch over to the app to watch. Uh, Xfinity Flex comes with more than 10,000 free online movies and TV shows, including live streaming TV from ESPN3, Zumo, which is X-U-M-O, never heard of that before, Pluto, Tubi TV, Cheddar, YouTube and more. So this is what they're providing for um, their customers. They're giving them, you know, and this is their internet customers. So they're they're giving them an option to uh, add five dollars to their uh, subscription. I mean, to their, you know, monthly bill that's going to give them this flex package, and that that also comes with a box, by the way. And it really doesn't offer anything. So you're telling me I got to pay you five dollars a month. For some crap that I could just get if I buy me a Fire TV stick for 30 bucks or 25 bucks or a Roku stick and just buy that and be done with it. So if I'm paying you five bucks a month, do the math. Five times 12 is what? You know, so <laughs> you're going to try to get 60 bucks from me a year for this crappy uh, service because you want me to pay for some box I don't need. You know, where are the other options? You know, what is the, you know, what kind of movies am I getting? What, you know, it's just so many questions with this. And and it's just mind boggling to me how Comcast just keeps, keeps just, they, it's like they're proud to be one of the country's worst companies rated every year. They're one of the worst companies, them and AT&T. And it's like, you got to get out of your way, man. You got to get out of your own way and allow people Allow your customers, you know, the freedom to choose what they want. Give them something. Like, I, I just don't understand why Comcast won't just allow people to buy their service. Just put it in the app. They created an app a, a year or two ago already that they, that they locked down where you have to buy a specific 
Roku box and it has to be connected a certain way through a secure uh, gateway that they control and all this other crazy stuff. And I'm saying to myself, why not just offer a standalone app like everyone else and charge for it? Hey, you know, we're Comcast. If you don't want to buy our box, that's fine. But here, by the way, here you go. We're going to offer you our own packages. We're going to put it all into one app that you could buy on the, over the top. And so we could compete with the likes of YouTube TV and DirecTV Now and all these other, uh, you know, over the top services. They just haven't gotten to that point yet because they're just holding on for dear life to this weird, archaic uh, system that they've had in place for, you know, forever and that's we want to control your experience we want to give you our hardware that you don't need so we can lock you in or have one extra thing that we can lock you into and it's just a joke man it's a joke like it's really really shameful what comcast is doing to just their customers and their people and that's why i'm just so glad that I don't have to deal with them. I do not pay Comcast a penny. I don't have their internet service. I don't even have their, uh, God forbid, I don't have their goddamn uh, terrible uh, cable service. I don't have that either. I don't pay Comcast a penny. You know what I did last year? I cut them in the big top of the year, top of 2018. I got rid of them. And I got I added on a line to my AT&T uh, unlimited plan, my family plan that I have. I added a line and made that line a home hotspot and I literally controlled every device in my apartment using that hotspot for a year until I just recently switched over to GoNet Speed again shout out to GoNet Speed but that's what I did I just couldn't stand paying these guys they're the worst they're the absolute worst and I hope they hemorrhage more subscribers, and I hope they really, really start to go on the decline very soon. It will happen eventually, but I hope that process speeds up in due time. But speaking of, like I said, this is going to be predominantly focused on streaming services. And um, I want to jump into uh, the dispute between AT&T and Viacom. Uh, TV networks. Uh, for those of you out there who don't know who Viacom is, Viacom is a big TV network provider. They own a lot of popular channels. Well, not so popular because not people don't watch them as much as they used to. But anyway, they own the likes of MTV, MTV2, all the MTVs, VH1, BET, and all the Nickelodeon channels. And that's just to name a few. But Viacom is, you know, they own about 22 or 23 channels, I believe. Just, you know, they just have a lot of channels. So they're in this crazy dispute, like, which always happens with these networks. They get in a a dispute between the providers. They go head to head. And then in the end of the day, who loses? The consumer. The consumer always loses. <laughs> it's, it, it, it always loses because ultimately what will probably happen at the end of their dispute is, you know, the, uh, the uh, Viacom will get a little bit more money and AT&T will raise the prices a little bit and put it out and have the customers pay for it. So long story short, AT&T 
and Viacom were supposed to come to a deal toward the end of the week, which was about March 22nd. Um, they, to my knowledge, have not come to an agreement yet. I could be wrong, you know, depending on when I'm, I record and release this, just to uh, give myself a little cushion here. But they are having a dispute, and it's, it's weird because both of them are in a very shitty situation. So it's like, first of all, AT&T, your DirecTV Now service is trash. It is absolute garbage. It is not the best of the best when it comes to the other options that are available. You're struggling along with your satellite TV, uh, satellite TV, direct TV, that part of it is struggling. Viacom has been struggling for years. People just don't watch their main product as much as they used to in the old days. So the thing is, Viacom has been pulling their channels from a lot of the over-the-top streaming services for years now. I remember when they first took it, took their channels away from uh, PlayStation View when I was a subscriber then, and it had to, I had to leave because of that because I do watch some stuff on Viacom. I do like Comedy Central. I like those those um, those those channels. So they took that away. Then they took away their you know stuff off of. Um, Hulu. I remember when I had Hulu, they took away their on-demand stuff, uh, Comedy Central's um, Daily Show and all these other uh, main shows that we used to, you know, that I like to watch personally. And they took that away as well. I can't remember the other service. But bottom line is Viacom has been pulling their stuff off of a lot of services. Why, I don't know. They're not in a power position to really create a standalone service that people will actually pay for. So this hardball stuff is just makes no sense to me. And that's why both sides are struggling. Both sides are struggling. It's like you need each other. Why are you doing this power struggle when you both need each other? AT&T really needs Viacom as well because they can't really afford for them to, to, to lose more customers, especially when they bought Time Warner. Time Warner has HBO. It has, F, you know, has all of these other... Uh, Important um, um, networks. I mean, hell, AT&T owns Batman, for God's sakes, and DC and all these other things that come with it. So that's disgusting in itself. But they are what? I read an article that about $171 billion in the hole in debt from these big purchases that they've made, not to mention the purchase they made for DirecTV a few years back. So their own greed is getting themselves deeper and deeper in a hole. Why Viacom has been in a hole for many years as well because they haven't really been offering anything that's exciting or competitive in the market. So these two are just weird to me. And it's just harkens back to how we lose as customers. You know, we lose ultimately in the end because, you know, it's two companies that just don't really care about the consumer. At the end of the day, it's greed and it's just disgusting. So, you know, we'll, we'll see how that shakes out. I mean, I'm pretty much trying to figure out whether I'm going to stay with DirecTV now. That's the streaming service that I use right now because I have AT&T wireless and I have a $25 or was it 25 I think, or $20 uh, discount that I get per month for their service. And, you know... The service that I was paying for was 40 bucks. Um, 
Actually, it was less than that. It was 35 when I first joined. They raised the price $5 last year. And now they're saying they're going to raise it again, 10 bucks. So that package that I have is, you know, the total price of it is really $50 now. And I'll be paying 25 So losing the Viacom channels is something I got to really consider. Hey, like, hey, am I going to stay here? You know, so, you know, just a lot of crazy stuff going on in uh, streaming services and, and, and just the TV world in general. I want to transition into um, the uh, marijuana industry. So I read another article saying that the marijuana is the fastest growing industry in the U.S. job market. I mean, duh. (laughs) Why does this surprise anybody? So, you know, Business Insider um, had um, shared this and it just... It's common sense. If you're a state in this country still struggling to uh, figure out whether or not you want to legalize this thing on the state level, then you're crazy and you're out of your mind. You don't care about revenue the way you claim you do care about revenue. Raising taxes to, you know, hire or to eliminate your deficit in our case, in my case, for my state, like in Connecticut, that's what they love to do. They like to raise the taxes to try to cover their shortfalls. When the end, it doesn't really work. It doesn't help spur any type of economic growth when you keep taking away more and more money from people, um, especially working class people. So doing something that's new and innovative, like legalizing marijuana on a recreational uh, level, is important for a state to do that, especially if they are in the red. It's nothing but positivity when it comes to revenue as, the, as, a, as a number one revenue source. It brings in a lot of revenue and it brings in jobs. So whether that's on the fields where they grow in the stuff or whether they're in, uh, on the retail side of things as far as dispensaries when they sell it to the consumer, it's just a no-brainer. Like, it's just a no-brainer. So when I read that, you know, that, that marijuana you know, is the fastest growing industry, it's not really surprising. And half of the country hasn't legalized it fully for, on the recreational side yet. So you just can imagine how much those numbers will start to spike once more and more states, you know, join the 21st century and legalize this damn thing and get this ball rolling when it comes to, you know, you know, just just growth, not just growth, but health, you know, I'd rather have a bunch of people smoking marijuana to deal with their anxiety, their depression, or pain, any other pain they may have, than have them pop a bunch of pills. You know, the pharmaceutical companies don't want marijuana to become a big thing because it takes money away from them. If people stop popping Xannies and popping oxycodone and all of these other death drugs, drugs that are killing people, then... It hurts their bottom line. So, you know, they're going to pay, they're going to continue to pay for lobbyists to fight against legalizing marijuana and these types of things until they ultimately come around and say, you know what, maybe it will benefit us to um, pass marijuana on across the country and maybe we'll get into this. Maybe we'll start uh, um, buying dispensaries and, and having our own little uh, business going 
and incorporate that into our healthcare plans and, and things of that nature. Because believe me, this is a trend that's not going away. And don't be surprised if the Pfizer's of the world and you know all these big drug companies start to say, you know what? Instead of fighting this thing, how about we start to grow some weed and sell it to our own um, patients? And all in all, it's a win-win. You know, you get economic, new economic growth. And you get to save a lot of people on the uh, also save a lot of people who probably would have had a drug overdose because of all of these pills because we're swimming in pills in this country. So not surprised at all that marijuana is the fastest growing industry in the job market right now. Not at all surprised. All right. I would be remiss if I didn't bring up some Red Sox news. Yes, I'm biased. I am a Red Sox fan. If y'all didn't know that out there. Uh, Chris Sale, our pitching ace, our left-handed dynamo of a pitcher, he has signed a five-year, $150 million extension. This happened uh, about a day or two ago. Um, They've been discussing this extension since we won the World Series. I said we. Yes, I did. Since the Red Sox won the World Series. And, you know, just to cover Chris Sale real quick, um, the guy has done nothing but just a great job. I mean, he's been lights out since we got him from the White Sox. I mean, he's been consistent at being one of the top strikeout leaders in the league, both AL and NL. And his ERA has been relatively low. I mean, I think um, last time I checked, they said something about 2.56 ERA. So two and a half runs on average that he's been given up since he's been in Boston. I mean, yes, I know he had some fatigue issues with his shoulder last year, or as they called it, um, shoulder tendonitis. But, you know, I'm okay with that. You know, they they say that he doesn't have any structural issues going forward as far as, you know, any future Tommy John type surgery. It's just, you know, it's just wear and tear. And he's been, you know, one of the top leaders in innings pitched as well over the last few years. So, you know, wear and tear can can definitely be a factor. But even if it is structural issues that we need to worry about down the road, I'm really still not worried. You know why? Because Chris Sale can pitch. He's a pitcher's pitcher, man. He doesn't have to rely on his 98-plus fastball. He doesn't need it. He's got it. His best pitch is an off-speed pitch. His best pitch is a wicked slider. Uh, he one of those sliders that look like a like like a, a person throwing you a frisbee. That's his best pitch. He's got a wicked slider. He's got a curveball. He's got a really good repertoire of pitches. So I'm not worried about a Chris Sale if if his velocity starts to go down over the next few years because. The guy can pitch. Usually in these situations when you have a pitcher who is starting to have a little wear and tear on his shoulder or on his arm, the the one thing that scares you the most with that situation is if the, depending on if the pitcher, it depends on, you know, how how good the pitcher is. is. Does he just solely rely on his fastball or does he have... A, you know, a whole litany of other pitches that he can rely on, especially, you know, the really nasty off-speed stuff. And in Chris Sale's case, he does have that. So 
I'm not worried at all as a Red Sox fan. He deserved the money. He earned it. I mean, the guy had a bum shoulder, and you've seen how he closed out, uh, you know, the World Series by striking the side out when they brought him out in the bullpen. That's Chris Sale. Nasty, filthy stuff. And that's not even his fastball we're talking about. We're talking about the off-speed stuff. So I am psyched as a fan going into this season to have our ace for the next uh, few years in place. And now we just got to worry about Mookie Betts, <laughs> our MVP. Mookie Betts turned down a contract of eight years and $200 million last year, reports said. Um, now that Mike Trout just got his big payday, 12 years, $430 million, which is about $35 million a year, yeah, we're going to have to worry about Mookie. Because uh, Mookie, if he turned down 25 a year, he going to want at least 30 a year or something close to where Mike Trout ended up at. So lots and lots of issues as far as salary cap for the Red Sox going forward. But, hey, as long as we can keep the core players in place so we can compete every year, as a fan, you can't really complain. So um, I just want to end this podcast off by uh, giving a shout-out to Trevor Noah, man. So I recently joined the uh, community of Audible uh, subscribers. So I've just been fighting it for over a year now. Like, ah, do I really want to have an Audible subscription and uh, read books audibly, uh, have them read to me? I don't know, man. It's $15 a month worth it. i tell you what. I'm reading uh, Trevor Noah's book or having it read to me. Uh, Trevor Noah's Born a Crime. And it's just his stories, his life story about how he grew up in South Africa, apartheid South Africa, all the stories about his family on his mother's side, uh, the, the rivalries and tribes. and I mean, it's just a fascinating story, man. And I definitely recommend you guys check out Trevor Noah's book. I mean... You know, I'm just in awe of his existence and how and what he came from and to where he is now is just fascinating to me. Like the fact that the guy was literally born a crime. That's why the book says born a crime, because there was no interracial um, relationships that were allowed in South Africa apartheid um, during the apartheid. Um, you know, so, you know, his mother had to sneak him around as a kid and he basically, you know, lived this really, really interesting life as far as all the things he had to go through. I mean, uh, you know, and I learned a lot just, you know, um, learning about apartheid and what it was. And I always knew that it was terrible, you know, to, you know, having Nelson Mandela locked up for, I don't know what it was, 25, 30 years or something crazy like that. And knowing that it was just, you know, this really terrible time in, in, in our history as humans and as a civilization, but just getting a detailed analysis through his life story about how really terrible the apartheid was, it's just been a real eye-opener for me. Uh, he said something about like how he compared it. He said it was basically how the colonizers came to what we know as now as America and how they took that away from Native people and you mix that with what happened to uh, African-Americans during slavery in America, mix that those two together, and put on top of those two things segregation that we also experienced through the 50s and 60s. So you add all of those three toxic elements, that is South Africa apartheid. So 
That is crazy to me. So yes, definitely shout out to Trevor Noah. Check out his book, Born a Crime. I mean, I ain't plugging it. I ain't getting no money for it. I just think that it's a good read for y'all to check out, all right? So yes, man, that's all we got. This is the latest episode of Voice Junkie Podcast. Thanks for listening. Till next time, folks. Peace.